welcome back to the Scottish Garden Podcast. For episode 9, we're chatting to Kerry Ivins from Cambo about snowdrops. It's February and it's peak time for snowdrops and the Scottish Snowdrop Festival. Cambo Gardens in Fife is one of the estates hosting this event and it's a must-visit for every Galanthophile north of the border. Kerry and I discuss snowdrop collections, the new visitor centre at Cambo and how they're helping young horticulturists develop their skills. Welcome to the Scottish Garden Podcast. is situated in Fife along the coast from St Andrews and right next to King's Barns and its famous golf links. I first discovered it about five years ago when a family member recommended going for their amazing collection of snowdrops and right enough Cambo doesn't disappoint on that front. It's got a really lovely woodland walk featuring carpets of snowdrops throughout the trees and along the side of a stream which leads suddenly and wonderfully out onto a beach. It's also got a walled garden, a kitchen garden and glass houses, all with a diverse mix of planting. It's well worth a visit in all the seasons because there's always something to enjoy. Can you tell it's one of my favourite places? Kerry Ivins is the development manager of Cambo Heritage Trust, which manages the gardens and the recently redeveloped visitor centre. So I was keen to speak to her about the changes which have taken place there recently, its plans for the future and its rare and valuable snowdrops. And it's the beginning, I guess, of the Snowdrop Festival. Correct. This is a busy yep. time of year for you guys, is it? Yes, it's our busiest time of the year, which is kind of odd for a garden. Yes, <laughs> February is the busiest time, so we're really fortunate uh, to have um, such a fantastic collection of snowdrops and naturalised snowdrops in our woodlands that we can, yeah, we can... That's a, that's actually kind of underplaying a bit. There are like over 350 different varieties or something, isn't that right? Yeah, that's yeah. correct. So we have the uh, Plant Heritage uh, National Collection of Snowdrops for Scotland, which means we, um, well, we estimate we've got about 350 varieties. We kind of have sort of catalogued and verified maybe about 250. And we're every year we're, we're sort of trying to research and find out more. Um, but because snowdrops kind of genetically um, modify, you know, yeah, very easily, yes, yes. Uh, new varieties can pop up all the time. Um, so it's yeah, it's a bit of a movable feast as to how many varieties we have. But quite exciting though, because it means at any point, any year, you could just sort of discover the <laughs> Invent a new exactly, and uh, we could yeah, yeah. and uh, and we all snowdrops really at Campbell um, began. There had been snowdrops naturalised in the woodlands, kind of, um, but the Magdalene Erskine, who was um, uh, the sort of gr- great granny of the of the current generation um, of Erskines here at Campbell, she um, really developed all the you know got up there out there with the kids and sort of you know right. getting clumps and dividing them and really encouraging them in the woodlands. Yeah. And then from that, in sort of the 1970s, um, Catherine Erskine um, took over, uh, well, basically 
began to run the estate and it was really through her passion for horticulture and sort of as a budding galanthophile mm-hmm. that, uh, that really the collection of the specialist varieties kind of um, developed. But now, And the reason I talk about Magdalene Erskine is that we're one of our key specialist snowdrop varieties is Galanthus Magdalene Erskine. So, oh, so, so we've got our own yes. Campbell snowdrop, Perfect. if you like. <laughs> yeah. and so for all the galanthophiles out there, I guess there must be some quite valuable and rare ones around as well. I'm not asking you to identify. Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. We don't want any snowdrop. Drop crime, yeah. Uh, yes, we do, and, and obviously we sell. We have a horticultural business, so we yeah. we sell lots um, um, of uh, mostly Navalis and Floriplino. But we have every year we release a certain amount of specialist bulbs from our collection. So, and that is very much a case of our head gardener and Lady Erskine walking around and literally saying, "Right, I guess we could release three of these, two of these, ten of these." Uh, so we have a list now of about forty varieties that we're that we can sell, and that's and that can be so exciting for for the real gland files. It was a lady here yesterday, and she was practically in tears because she was getting this bulb, you know, that she's been sort of after for years. Is that right? So do people so, like literally kind of queue up on the Oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah exactly. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, and that's really nice and that's, yeah. it's nice to, um, yeah, exactly, to see that passion for such yeah. a kind of niche little flower. Yeah. Is, but there is something about it that people really seem to love. I don't know whether it's the fact that it is like almost the first The first, thing yeah, exactly. To show that spring is coming, but, yeah, um, but they, yeah. are, they are such pretty little flowers as well. Yeah. And as yeah. I was driving in this morning as well, I thought, you know, I've got little clumps of snowdrops in my garden, and it's lovely to see them, but then when you see the carpet in the woodlands, yes. you just go, no, that's that's what it's really all about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, and it's been quite, because it's been such a mild winter, they're all up kind of, up and about a little bit earlier this yeah. year, so the season, yeah. you'd always kind of concerned, like you always want a cold snap about now to sort of just... <laughs> elongate the season yeah. <laughs> a little bit yeah. a couple of years ago when the beast from the east yes. came at the tail end of February and obviously everything was um, white out and then they just the woods just mm-hmm. sprung back and we the, we had um, snowdrops till sort of early April and it was really interesting just that that freeze kind of <laughs> It was actually extended. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty horrendous for mm. those few days, but yeah, it, it yeah. did the snowdrops no harm. They looked like they'd had a good wash, you yeah. know, like they were sort of like yeah, <laughs> springing back into yeah. life again. Yeah. But it's not just snowdrops here. You really do have an amazing garden. Um, in spring as well, there are a lot of other spring uh, stars, I suppose, in this garden. Yeah, and I think over the past few years, we've really tried to develop a winter garden sort of area alongside because obviously when you if you've got visitors coming you want them to be able to see you know other things <laughs> as well um so yeah so we're yeah we're quite fortunate to have developed quite yeah quite a, a good winter garden area and I guess we're just always trying to encourage people to come back at other times of the year as well because one of the things about you know when you're very famous for one thing mm-hmm. you don't want people sort of going tick I've been to Campbell <laughs> you know in February, in February you know it. when actually the world got you know we've got a stunning two and a half acre world garden and it's a quite a late season garden as well well I mean there's key times obviously through throughout the summer but it's you know really late sort of September even into October it's uh, um, with our herbaceous borders and things that it's it's well worth a visit. Am I right in saying there's a bit more development happening sort of around the kitchen garden area or has been in the past couple of years? Yes yeah that's true so historically over we, we have our sort of main two and a half acre world garden 
And over the wall, there was an older walled garden, which um, it had been some community allotments for a few years. And as people gave them up, we sort of reclaimed them to create a kind of community um, fruit and vegetable garden. So it's a lovely spot where the burn, if people know Cambo, it's, there's, a, there's a burn that runs through the walled garden. But before it gets to the walled garden, it snakes through this area. Um, so it's a it's a yeah lovely spot and benefits from the walls as well you know so it's really really good uh, area so we've we've just employed um, a gardener to specifically look at um, all of that and how we can kind of develop it more of as a sort of social enterprise opportunity mm-hmm. as well so the the fruit and veg itself will serve our cafe and and with some. To buy um, in our shop and things as well, but also we're looking at other other things that we can sort of the natural resources we have like willow and cut flowers and you know basically anything <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that we can that you know we've got such abundant natural resources exactly. and it's you know and it's, so it's kind of how we can harness all of that really to kind of yeah so it'd be self-sustaining I guess yeah yeah, yeah. it's brilliant because I think it it obviously must help you along in this. Um, journey. I mean, when I came, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, it really was just all about the snowdrops and that yeah, kind of yeah. thing. And um, but in the past few years, it just seems Campbell's really expanded. You've got the stables and and everything around that, and so many activities on offer. Uh, and then to be able to kind of then feed back into that with the things that you're developing and just keep everything going and sustaining itself must be quite. Yeah, it's very. I mean, it's exciting, exciting but it was, yeah. yeah. So and so the background to it. Um, so Cambo had been a family country estate, you yeah. know, has sort of hundreds of years, and sort of from the seventies, um, Catherine Erskine, who was the sort of passionate horticulturalist and, and really promoted the snowdrops as well. Um, they did such a lot of volunteering and training and things that a charitable trust was set up called Campbell Heritage Trust, and then so over the years. Um, we are now a sort of self-sustaining charity within, you know, the wider estate. So we um, are sort of separate now. We've sort of sh- shot off, if you like, and we now, ma- the trust manages the stables buildings here and the gardens and then all the kind of programmes that go along with that. And a lot of the, the work over the last few years was the capital development really to turn these stables into a hub for, you know, so we've got a cafe, learning rooms, you know, a shop, all the things that people (laughs) want, exactly. But equally, you know, because historically when visitors would come to Campbell, you would sort of arrive at the mansion house and then the the walk to the walled garden is actually quite a reasonable walk. And then just in terms of people needing the toilet or just, you know, or any of that kind of services, it was, you know, because it wasn't set up, you know, yeah. to be that. It's obviously, a, you know, it's a historic family home sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, so the nice thing about the stables is that it backs right onto the walled garden. So we are kind of where we are sitting just now. You know, it's almost the tradesman's entrance to the garden where all the stable hands and the gardeners would be doing all the work and they would be sort of entering from this side of the garden. Uh, the family would be coming up the other side. But I quite like it because, the, the, to me, sort of growing up in the 80s with, like, the secret garden on, you know, like, BBC Kids TV, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's that magical, you're sort of through going, the going through the door and, it's, right. you know, and the vista that you get uh, coming in from from uh, this side, you know, is really lovely. So it's it, so it does function very well as, a, as the sort of visitor services, yeah. if you like, for it, because yeah. it's right, you know, right on top of the garden. Yeah. And then part of that development as well was to reinstate some of the glass houses historically there would have been glass houses up the entire one side 
um, of the garden and that would cost quite a lot of money <laughs> to, yeah. to reinstate all of them. So we've sort of reinstated four houses um, on, on one side and um, they are just a fantastic resource now that we can do all sorts of interesting displays but also um, you know, for volunteers and for training opportunities and stuff. It's just you know, great for you know, propagating our own material and and having somewhere to work on a wet day and, <laughs> and all of that. And at the moment, we've actually got an artist in residence uh, in one of the houses um, who's using it as a studio um, for this sort of quietish time for the you know before before a lot of the the, the um, fruit and veg and, yeah. and stuff will will go in later. So Brilliant. yeah. So coming back then to training and things like that, mm. it seems that you are. Um, good centre for people to come and, and maybe do a bit of training? You're, you encourage sort of young horticulture? Yeah, absolutely. So we're fortunate to be part of a scheme called Our Bright Future, which is a lottery funded scheme to get young people into the environmental workforce. So broadly that could be forestry, um, you know, rural skills, you know, any any kind of, of these uh, fields. Where it, So we deliver a horticultural element to it. So um, each year we have a cohort of apprentices uh, in horticulture, so that's young people locally that we sort of do a kind of work experience academy type thing and sort of recruit from that. So we've had a, a, about six apprentices so far through that um, scheme and what that has meant as well that the, the, the staff, our head gardener and um, first gardener have gone through training so they can deliver a lot of this is yeah, uh, as assessors as well. So the aspiration is mm-hmm. that we will become more of a centre for training as as time goes on. But as we've sort of done the last few years with the modern apprentices, it's we're sort of getting into the flow of it about <laughs> how that works. Yeah, it must be useful for you because I'm guessing there's an awful lot of work involved in the upkeep of all these different gardens oh. and different areas and the woodland and everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we are. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a win-win really, and um, and we do we have a, a really a, a sort of thriving local volunteering program. So three days, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, ten till three. We have, you know, open sessions for volunteers, and that tends to be a lot, you know, local people who they're either newly retired, so have have time but are looking for things to get involved with, or it's people who are looking who are maybe career changing and interested to actually, you know, do it, you know, find out for themselves if they're actually, you know, do want to do want to get into gardening. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, and that's, I mean, again, it's the, it's the win win thing that we get a lot of. <laughs> labour out of our volunteers that <laughs> yeah. we tried to give them as much you know uh, sort of encouragement or yeah and especially if it is particularly as a horticulture we can try and yeah exactly it? Yeah. to learn yeah. from that Brilliant. yeah 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 and so you are very keen to attract a lot of families I'm guessing you seem to have a lot of activities and things to mm-hmm. encourage kids to get outdoors that's something that's probably quite a priority then for for the trust and for the yeah definitely because I mean the the obviously the priorities of the trust are really to to promote engagement with the natural environment yeah. you know and on its most basic level so we employ two part time uh, learning officers who one very much looks at sort of family learning and the kind of events and activities around that and then the other one really looks at all the volunteering opportunities um, that we offer so it's really about trying to sort of look at all the different ages and kind of how we can encourage people and especially encouraging parents and children to sort of spend time together outdoors and be confident because a lot of the you know we're you know we're not the same as we were generations ago and people don't you know they maybe don't 
can't identify trees or birds or you know mm-hmm. you know so so a lot of what we do is to just to try and sort of encourage that and encourage time sort of spent um outdoors so we've got a and and again to sort of make it um I suppose easy for parents as well so we've got what we call our nature play area which is kind of quite a safe area if you like as in it's you know if you have a toddler running off they're not it's nowhere near the barn or it's no you know so we've got so it's about kind of promoting you know I suppose inquisitive play in the woods but in a sort of you know kind of quite safely managed way and then obviously once the kids get older you can rampage through the woods you know <laughs> yeah yeah within reason yeah exactly exactly I know I know and that's the thing with dogs as well honestly we're so um when we opened we were we were well like when we opened the building we were sort of like well we allow dogs in the cafe what we go you know what we do we're like well it's a stable you know it's had lots of action you know yes. <laughs> over the years so Indeed. a few dogs so so we would say yeah, yeah so we did you know we took a decision yeah absolutely we'll, we'll we'll make the whole venue really dog friendly and i think that has just worked so well yeah. for us because it's um sometimes it's like a dog festival <laughs> Yes, there you go. There's your yeah. next event. That's the next thing, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think I think that's really helped in the local community as well, though, because you know our Kingsbarns Village is maybe half mm-hmm. a mile away, and you know you just it's it's really nice that you see the same faces, you know, coming back. And what we do, um, we have a supporter scheme, which is basically where people buy an annual pass for the garden. Um, and we and it's and it's really nice for when local people do that because I think they feel a certain amount of ownership that they can obviously they they come and log in at the till so we we you know we've got the numbers, um, but apart from that it, it means that there's you know a community that are enjoying the gardens and the woodlands you know just as part of their daily life which is yeah. obviously what we what we want yeah. yeah yeah so you seem to have achieved a great deal in the past as I say five six years whatever it's been. What's next? Have you got? Uh, are you continuing development? Is there a, a yeah. plan? <laughs> so yeah, Just keep growing. Well, yeah, <laughs> you're trying to capture ourselves. Yeah. So the um, we're actually we've, we we have a quite active board of trustees, a sort of a, a, as a, as a trust. So we've looked because we were when we were doing the development of of the stables buildings, we looked a lot at the archives and the history of the garden and things. And we put together a conservation management plan, which was really about. Marking, you know, everything that's what the garden has been, and then what our plans are for the future. And our our sort of garden team are at the moment looking at how to turn that into a sort of live plan for the garden for the next few years. So that's quite exciting for them as well because they're getting real ownership of that. And then with the with the rest of the buildings, we've got a first floor hayloft which is currently sort of waiting, oh. <laughs> waiting up there. So. We're getting architects' plans and things done at the moment to look at sort of how we could use that either as a sort of small businesses, you know, kind of like, um, uh, yeah, flexible workspaces, um, either for artists or just or you know other other small local businesses because we we have a craft shop here, so we work quite a lot with local makers, and there's such an interest now in like natural soap products and all these sorts you know all these kind of things so we've got quite good links with um yeah sort of lo- local craft makers with it yeah candles soaps all these things um so we know that there, there would be in, you know there's sort of interest there to sort of um create more you know more of a hub i guess yeah. Yeah. the more that goes on the more it leads to exactly. you know yeah. <laughs> other, yeah, yeah other unexpected things 
Um, so yeah, that would be that would be the next stage. Um, and you know, our cafe, we've got a, a great vegetarian cafe that yeah, we're Yeah, I was about um, to mention that, actually. We should yeah. mention the cafe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is, uh, yeah, which is really good. So we've just converted a little... Um, there was a sort of neighbouring um, couple of rooms uh, next to the cafe, which we're turning into a sort of preparation kitchen, so we can maximise all the all the fruit and veg that's coming from the garden. So whether that's preserving it, or you know, even just chopping and freezing it, or get anything that we can just keep, you know, because we're about to hit wild. I mean, the wild garlic's coming up already. Um, yeah. So Jill, who runs the cat, you know, so she's kind of like, right, how can you know, you know, <laughs> everything that comes through, she's desperate to sort of like find a recipe, find, for yeah, it. exactly, yeah, or yeah. to think about ways of preserving it, or you know, yeah. Um, so yeah. And I think what's the next knock on is actually a lot of um, the staff and the visitors are being more inspired in vegetarian cooking as well, and like, oh, I didn't know you could do that with a beetroot, <laughs> you, know, so, you know, kind of. And she's got a cookbook as well um, that she did that she did with the parlor. Um, um, but it's full of all, you know, soups and salads and all, all these kind of things. And um, yeah. So coming back just briefly to the Snowdrop Festival again, yep. Campbell's one of many estates and, and places throughout Scotland doing that, right? So yep. I'm guessing you would encourage anyone, even if they're not local to here, um, to, to go and find a Snowdrop Festival somewhere where they are? Yeah, absolutely. And because the whole Snowdrop Festival is being promoted by Visit Scotland. So if you kind of go into the Visit Scotland website and things, you'll see. But there's loads of, and there's lots of places gardens especially that may um, be closed for the season but they open specifically for snowdrop days so yeah there's there's lots of places that um, you can get out and enjoy them that was kerry ivans from cambo heritage trust i hope you enjoyed our discussion about the joys of scottish snowdrops If you want to know more about Cambo, its snowdrop collection, its gardens, the programme of events or training and volunteering opportunities, I recommend you visit the website cambogardens.org.uk and you'll find all the information you need there. As usual, I'll include links in the show notes to their website and social media pages too. Coming up in the next episode is a chat with Simon Milne, the Regis Keeper of the Royal Botanic Garden Edinburgh. No, I didn't know what a Regis Keeper is either, but all will be revealed on the Scottish Garden podcast. Until then, be happy and well in your garden. Goodbye.